You're back here at the Faculty Factory Podcast, and I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins, and I'm looking at Dr. Sean Tackett. Hi, Sean. Hi, Kim. How are you? Well, friends, Dr. Tackett is a general internist here at Hopkins, and he is also the international medical education director in his division. Right, Sean? Anything else you want to add to those titles? I think that's it. No, I'm, I mean, I'm sitting at home in Lutherville, Maryland, like 10 miles north of Baltimore. That gives you any sense of context, but that's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and an associate professor. It's got to be more than that, right? Uh, sure. I, well, I, I'm, I'm a father of two, a, a husband of one. But yeah, those, <laughs> those are, I don't know. Those are the high, that's most important. I love it. I love it. Friends, Sean came to me from this really interesting and novel concept. At first, when I read it, I thought, well, I think we do that. And then the more I looked at, I mean, meaning me, I was thinking back in my graduate school days. And then the more I looked at this thing, I thought, oh, this is really clever. This is really crisp, nice. I'm, I don't want to be, you know, the spoiler alert here. So I'm going to let you let Sean talk about what it is. But if those of you who are interested in, um, well, I guess, education and staying current, you're going to want to listen to this uh, episode and learn a lot from Dr. Sean Tackett's Must Read Articles of the Month. So why don't you tell us all about it, Sean? Sure. Yeah. Must Reads. So this started with, so I'm, you know, I'm a general internist, I'm a clinician, right? So I was fam- very familiar with certain digests like New England Journal, uh, Watch, and Evidence Alerts, which is my favorite from McMaster. And helping me keep up with like the clinical literature and clinical advances, um, but I found it like impossible and uh, to, to keep up with like the med ed literature, and so um, I just kept and I really enjoyed reading the med ed literature when I had the chance. So I was looking personally for an excuse to actually read the literature and keep up with it, and so in doing that, you know, kind of made made this connection between the the clinical literature digests and then you know what if there was a med ed literature digest that was like that to make it easier for people to keep up so kind of put together a draft took a first pass on my own and then uh found it at least it was feasible to do and then kind of ran the idea by my boss scott wright who's the chief of uh, division general for medicine at bayview and and he liked it too and and so then we you know we kind of just started to move forward and it was, it was a long process to actually kind of get to where we were to, to putting up on a website. And I think March 2021 is when it went up. Uh, and we kind of actually developed it uh, through the pandemic in large part. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's where it came from. Yeah. And I, I, love, I love the way you're leading up into this and, and how we talked a little bit before we started recording here that we said, you know, Necessity is the mother of all invention. And the fact that when we identify a need or find ourselves saying, why can't I, or why is this, or how could I? And when you find, we find ourselves repeatedly asking that question, to me, that's something in us telling us, well, because you haven't done it yet, that you have to, the reason why you're you know, annoyed by this or intrigued by this, and how come nobody has figured this out, or why is, hasn't this happened is because this is this is the push for you to, to invent this, to create this, to discover this, to, to model it, to demonstrate it. So, and the pandemic, yeah, perfect time to, you know, be creative um, as much as we could transitioning out of clinical care, as you obviously do, but can you just pause a moment? And as I'm thinking of faculty members and those of us who in all of our professional literature, as you mentioned, you know, the different digests we get, 
we get these e-alerts in our my email, the table of contents of my next issue of journal A, B, C, and D. And so, and like you, I'm always like, oh, I, I got to put shove that in the folder because I want to read that article. I'm going to pin that if I could to get to it later. And 80 to 90% of the time, there's no later. I mean, I know it's sitting in that file folder, but now I can't remember like where, which, which email it was in. In the olden days, I'd get the paper version of it, stick a little tape flag, color-coded, telling me that's the one I wrote. That's the one my friends wrote. This is one of two read. So is this kind of the thought process and, and, and or why would somebody listening to this go, well, just look at your, your electronic, your email. What's, what's the difference here? So can you get us into that? Yeah, I know. I mean, I was like you very much where I, I, I subscribe to all the different table of contents and I would like leave the email in my inbox just knowing that someday I'm going to come back to it and, and never did. So yeah, so it's certainly it's nice to have this process where like I'm kind of accountable each month to, to looking at things. And you know, I'll add, this is, we are looking for people to continue to help us with the review process. Um, so there, you know, every month from starting on the first day of the month, usually ending up at the close to the last day of the month, we go through a process where the reviewers um, kind of go through. So maybe I'll, I'll uh, I can address that first and then, um, and then kind of come back to, I guess, yeah, how this is useful and why it was designed for, with like the, the user in mind. Okay. Um, but the, so, so the actual process is that now is on the, the first day of the month, uh, we do a, a search in PubMed and it includes sort of general medical education as well as uh, the eight general medical education journals that have the highest impact factor. And, uh, and we've actually, we only include those with abstracts just to make it more feasible for us, but that still leads to like 400 articles that each of us screens every month. And then we do it in a software, like it's a systematic review software called Covenants that Hopkins provides for, for free for us. Um, so, so that's step one. And then once we get everybody's votes in, then calculate the votes. And then we go with the, the highest votes get a full text review. So we pull the full text and then we put them into, you know, OneDrive. Um, and, uh, and then there's a template in Excel that we use where we have people kind of rate the articles. There, I think there's five criteria. They rate one to three for each criteria. And then they like some explanatory comments and everybody does that independently and then sends it to me. And I kind of collate everybody's independent ratings. And then we send that out to everybody again in time for a like editorial meeting at the end of the month. And so then everybody can look at the different data and, and look at each other's comments for the meeting. And it's a one hour meeting where we just kind of talk through you know, which are going to be the, the top three or four um, articles that we're going to highlight. And, and we tend to actually end up discussing, you know, if we limit ourselves to 12 articles for full text per month, but we end up usually discussing nine or 10 of them in, in some, some uh, level of detail. And it's very like educational for us because like we're kind of, you know, learning how to parse these articles um, and analyze them and kind of also figure out like why we like certain things, why we may not like other things. And um yeah, and then so 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 we settle on our articles, and with that, um, we create like the gist and why this is a must read. And so those have also been kind of systematically developed. Such that the gist is two bullet points of kind of what the article says about itself. So there's like one bullet for methods and one for results or conclusions. And then the why this is a must read is kind of our opinion about as to why you, know, you should actually pay attention to this article. Um, and each of those has to be 50 words or less. And then we you know put it up on the site and then you know people can check it out if they want. I, and there's a must reads Twitter account, which we, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not in charge of that, but 
that goes out. And, you know, we let the corresponding author know too, just so they, they're aware that like we recognize their work. I mean, cause it is, you think about it, it's three or four articles per month out of 400. So it's top 1% that's come out. So we just want them to be aware that, you know, that, um, that it's out there so they can kind of get credit for it and maybe like share it with other people. Sean, 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 amazing. This is, wow, such an important contribution. I love that you came up with this. I love so many elements of this and how it just, how it demonstrates not only your creativity, but your commitment to education and the dissemination of it. And the fact that this is a team effort and that everybody is learning on the team about this, but then you're sharing all this wisdom with the world. So thank you. I just wanted to highlight a few things. 400 articles a month is what you're talking about as your denominator. So that right in, you know, that's a hard stop right there. I challenge anybody out there who says, no, I've got a pretty good handle on the literature and substitute your field here, whatever that is. 400 articles a month. Who of us has that stamina of the time to really thoughtfully go through all that. So right there. Well, I, I mean, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to mislead people. Like we're not thoughtful about the 400 screening. It's, it's more like a you know, title. We, we have the abstract available in the software so we can look at it. Right. Um, then we just kind of like click through and you vote yes or no. And I mean, for me personally, you know, I honestly, I do it like when I'm at, like walking on a treadmill at the gym after a workout. And so, so when you go to go through 400, it takes like maybe an hour, hour and a half when you like, if you spread it out and you can do it on your mobile device. And so it actually, it, it tends to work out pretty well. Well, uh, you're being modest. And so, yeah, I can see how that's a quick yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. You're saying a bunch of things there, but the, and the first thing is again, 400 a month. That's a lot that I'm saying that the, the gift you've given to the community is that we are hopefully in our, in our, for whatever our opinions stand for, filtering that for you. And the second thing I think it's telling we as authors, you better come up with a pretty good title because yeah, that's true. there are people who are looking at that title like all of us and making snap judgments. Yep. I, this is not up my alley. This is not applicable and I'm not interested in it. Yeah, that's what we found ourselves kind of resorting to, honestly, uh, just to try to, you know, again, canvas the, the literature yeah. that way. Um, the other fun fun fact, kind of this this emerged. Um, so, because you know, we always have about five minimum reviewers per month, and then I think the most we've had any month is eight. Um, but even with that, a majority of the articles get zero votes. Um, we almost never have consensus. We never have like every, like uh, a single article getting votes from all of us. But it is the majority of literature that gets like no, no votes from any of us. I don't know what that says about the state of medical education research or scholarship, but, uh, but anyway, it does like 55% or so don't appeal to any of us any given month. Fascinating. That, that right there is fascinating how that could be a study in and of itself to see what is it that, what are the factors that drive interest in, and is it, it obviously comes down to words, right? The words we use. So yeah, is it the is it the content? Is it the science? Is it simply a miscommunication or opportunities to really do a better job of branding and, and titling and drawing interest in the topic? There's a lot going on there. Could you tell us a little bit more about the um, the editorial board? From where do you get the editors and how do they view this opportunity? Are they putting this on their CV for? Servers, I imagine if they did nothing, they're they like you said are learning a lot about writing, good writing, and then helping them pick up some tools. But how do you find the editors? 
they are, you know, volunteers. So it really, frankly, the, the, the quickest answer is mostly within our division, general trauma medicine. Um, so, you know, the, in, in the formation of it, like over the year, year and a half that we, the process we went through to come to come to like the final process, um, you know, we presented it at our division academic or uh, division work in progress meetings. And so people became aware and then they kind of liked the idea and signed up. So that, that's been about probably half the different reviewers. We, we try to get all the reviewers who have participated one time or another are on our site. Again, we want to have credit, credit for the work they've done. But uh, so that's been that. And But then I think one person we brought in who was a, a corresponding author for a must read. So it was at NYU. Dan Sartori. So we, when I wrote him and then we ended up talking about a different project, but then he was interested in participating. So he's participated on a couple of occasions. Um, and then, you know, we've we branched out, to, I think the, the hospitalist division at uh, Hopkins campus, um, a med student is involved, involved of who I met. Um, and then uh, we have uh, a Brazilian Tiago who uh, I, I, who became interested in, and we found each other. Um, and he's, he's been one of our regular contributors. A lot of them are, you know, GIM fellows, but it's, it's just kind of like here and there and everybody's welcome to join. Most people will do it more than once after. So, so, that, so far, so good with that because like, people have had a decent experience the first time around, but yeah, and, and, and we're always open to including more people, but we've, again, we've been successful at kind of maintaining a steady, like greater than five reviewers per month. And it sounds um, like really interdisciplinary, not only from external institutions, not only Hopkins, but also at different ranks and stages of career and I imagine familiarity or experience in scholarship. So you kind of run the gamut, right? Yeah. And I think it makes it strong. And really the probably the, the most fun part of, of it is seeing the full text review uh, numbers and comments because everybody said everybody does it independently. And whether they're, you know, a professor like Scott's a you know professor published like hundreds of articles or, or you know maybe published none and just learning the field. You know, we all get to see each other's like what you call it, like independent ratings yeah. and, and comments as to why they like something and don't. And so, so to see the dis- discrepancies that that happen with that, and then have to talk through, uh, you know, why one liked it and one may not have, um, I think is really I, I, I don't know. I, I enjoy seeing that diversity. That that's invaluable because it re- you're reminding me of the grant review process where when you read other reviewers of even or articles, manuscripts, and sitting in a study section or reading the other reviewers of a manuscript reviews, and you go, oh, shoot, no, I didn't think about that. Or wait a minute, no, that, I don't, I, why, why is she or he pointing that out that was clearly on page 13, I read that. So that, that give and take and that window into other people's lenses and frames for viewing things, thinking about things is so educational for the good and the bad, because then you realize, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I, in that grant application, I saw that three times and that person didn't see it. Why? The guy is obviously smart. Why didn't he see that? Oh, so it really makes you think about how you present information, how regularly the same language you use and all those little, the art of grant writing and the science and art of writing a manuscript. So it's the same way, seeing how people process a manuscript is got to be so incredibly um, educational and, and valuable. Yeah, and, and what research findings or, or, or ideas, you know, thoughts, like some, some of these things are tips kind of articles that will highlight, like which of them have the most appeal? Because like for me, like I'm, I, I skew towards like the theory papers, you know, I really like like the very dense papers that are, are talking about some sort of esoteric or arcane idea. But, you know, obviously like if you're kind of 
if you're starting out, right, you're just trying to understand what medical education is, or if your focus is on becoming a better clinical teacher, you know, you're not going to care about this, you know, right. some, right. some random, I mean, thing that I, I would get, get uh, excited about. So, so it's good for us to have that back and forth because it kind of brings me towards the, you know, the, gr- the ground, um, so to speak. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's the, the whole thing is, is just kind of fun to be part of. Yeah, and we're going to put the link, Sean, in the, your podcast episode description. And by the way, before I forget, I'll men, try to mention at the end here, if you want to get a hold of Dr. Tackett to volunteer, to be on the editorial board and to learn more about his process, it's S Tackett, S-T-A-C-K-E-T-1 at jhmi.edu. That'll be in the facultyfactor.org website, but I'm looking at your website right now on um, just the topics, disabled students in undergraduate medical education, cultural humility, bias and assessment, machine-based learning, patient-physician communication, a qualitative study of clerkship students' perceptions of an ideal supervisor and microaggressions. I'm wondering, do you do themes or is it when I'm picturing you on the treadmill and your, your team of reviewers who are all, you know, calling through that 400 plus manuscripts, do you prompt them with a, let's keep our eye out this month for thus and such, or it's completely open ball field here and people just are, you know, tapping into whatever they, they, that, you know, piques their interest that day. Yeah, more the latter. I mean, I think we're just kind of leaving it. I don't want to influence people too much. Right. Cause then I I'm, I'm mindful of um, trying of, of, of losing that diversity yeah. as we continue to work together over time. Right. Uh, and then it's kind of then, then it's going to lose its value. So I, I try to like stay away from people's voting. Uh, other than I want them to be consistent, you know. Um, it, I, I think we, I guess maybe one thing we we we've had to correct ourselves with a little bit is um, skewing towards like the thought leadership and the commentary type of papers and, and away from the empirical ones. I think that was because um, well, anyway, wait, what we were doing is going towards the thought leadership stuff. And kind of away from the empirical stuff because the empirical stuff is just like the flaws were just more obvious to us right and, and when you're doing a research project you don't have control over it. something's always going to go wrong whereas if you're writing a, a thought piece you have complete control over it and it can just be beautiful so so i think we, we saw that earlier on and, and and so now make an effort to um you know make, make sure that we're valuing the empirical stuff you know at least as much or more than the the thought leadership type of papers. Um, and the other thing I, I'm, I'm still hoping we get more of is, is something like procedural or surgical. Because we have like, we have the surgical journal, I think it's, I forget the, maybe journal surgical education, I think is what it's called, but that's in our, our list that we look through every month. Uh, but we haven't like ended up kind of landing on a, a surgical article yet. So, um, and I, that, and again, in large part, it could be because we've been like psychiatrists or medical students or like yeah. nurse, yeah, and internists. And, and so we haven't really had a surgeon as part of the group. So, you know, so I, I, my eyes, I offer those types of articles too. Well, there you go. Surgeons out there. Here, here's an opportunity. Could you tell us, um, Sean, how back up a little bit on, you mentioned you use a, um, the services of our valuable medical informationists. Can you get into a little bit of the nitty gritty without, you know, making me want to put my head through my monitor here of how those, how you get the dump, the, the big data dump of here's your monthly assignment. Well, I, most, I do a lot of the administrative stuff now, but, but the informationist um, 
was involved in in helping us develop our search strategy. So that oh, once we had once we had the string though that had like I think it had a couple of mesh terms for medical education, health professional education, and then the different journals, and it has like dates. Yeah. Now every time, yeah, every time we do the search, I just change the dates and and plop it in, and then I know how to export it. And I know how to like put it into the, I know how to, you know, create the COVIDence accounts and put it into COVIDence. So I, I do that. It doesn't take an inordinate amount of time. It's faster for me to do it than ask somebody else. So, so. You, you mentioned that the COVIDence, that's a like a database that then you get an import export option and then you send a PDF or a clickable spreadsheet to your monthly editorial team. Uh, I mean, I could, so there, there's, so the, okay, the, the process is uh, search in PubMed export um, in, into some file format after I put it in the Mendeley, export it there, then import it into Covenants. And then each each voter has their own Covenants account and I'm a member of their account so I can see their progress as they go. I even all vote. But then it also allows me to download their votes. Uh, so I'll, I'll be able to download everybody's votes at the end. And then I set up a Stata file that can like analyze the, you know, the they'll tally the votes for me and then tell me which ones have the highest and then, you know, put it in the spreadsheet and so on and so on. So you have everything automated. Uh, me, me, yeah, me plus machines, I guess. <laughs> that that could be the next the next title of your new website. Me plus machines, yes. And I and I can't help but I've got to say something. The people are going to roll their eyes because I'm I'm dying to know. Do you have any? Or you've probably worked on all the bugs. I probably know the answer to this. Do you have any? goofy things that pop up in your searches or are they pretty airtight that you're only getting and I say this because I had a maddening experience when we did a comprehensive lit review of everything in the world and and I and I'll take full responsibility for somehow we are searching for the health of aging prisoners and so amongst all the think about and and you know prisoners, older adults, healthcare concerns, something, policy resources, whatever, whatever. We ended up getting back at least a dozen manuscripts on incarcerated testicles. And I did not know that that's apparently a real medical thing, but it kind of annoyed me that we're talking about incarcerated people. And I'm like, how do machines get that so wrong? And we had like 14,000 articles and it got me to the point where I thought we have to be smarter than this. There's got to be a way to say, I get the terms, but not this, this, but not that. And it was just, then it was the nonsense. The whole team was like, did you see that one? Well, how did that one get in there? Oh, it's probably because of this. So have you gotten all those buggy bugs out of there? We, yeah, we don't have, we don't get too many. I, I've done a, like a few more, more systematic type of reviews where it's trying to be comprehensive. Um, and yeah, that's happened in those cases, but we're not, again, honestly, we're not trying to be comprehensive. We're just trying to like find cool. really good, like we're trying to balance, you know, feasibility with being comprehensive. Okay. Um, so, so most of the stuff we do get is, is, is relevant at least, you know, occasionally people, this is stuff that pops up in votes or things that are preferred by people are a little surprising. We have, we have one person we tease a little bit about because, um, he, he likes the escape room articles a lot. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's not, nothing really bizarre. Okay, good. So you're, so at least you you've got the process honed down where you can be efficient, so that you are on the treadmill and not flying off of it. Going, wait a minute, what? How did that get in there? Um, the the second thing is I'm really curious about then the operationally is, am I if I'm an editor for the must reads in the division of internal medicine at Hopkins, and 
I get my assignment for the month. Do, am I a monthly editor for like I'm on for the month of May? And then you've got another automated thing where, okay, Kim, it's, it's May, May 1. Here's your, here's your assignment and here's your, the how-to. Step one, click yes, no for these things to put your vote in for full text review. Step three, here's a template with a rubric for the five criteria. I mean, do you, you dummy proof this for me on the other end? Or do you have to spend this time like, now I got to get Skrupski on the line here and help her figure out how to click on a link? Well, I mostly like it's been navigable with emails. So like if somebody says they want to do it for the month, you know, then first of the month, I'll I'll send an email out and and then Covenants will send an email out whenever they're at it as a teammate. Um, and an email I send out to everybody just has a few instructions on like how to vote, but it's mostly self-explanatory. So even recently, um, like we probably had like four or five people join over the last six months just to do it, do it for the first time ever. Yeah. And um, and they haven't needed anything from me besides just the emails that I sent out. And then, you know, and just so a lot of things are pretty self-explanatory at this point. It's not high tech. I mean, I, I don't want to, again, imply that uh Things are are just like happening without a lot of some human effort, but um, but that yeah, it, it's been fairly easy for for people to to participate. Well, you did all this in a I think it's like a year and a half, right? So it's really it's I love it in it because it's elegant. It's so it's a snapshot kind of real quick picture via the gist, the two bullet points, and then the why. This is a must read being limited to 50 words or less. I like that I can scan this on the fly. I imagine, you know, using the social media and Instagram, people can get a real quick, um, clear and yet not time consuming whole discussion on it. Because when we first started talking, Sean, I was reflecting on back in my graduate school days when, you know, we said that somebody would come and bring an article for discussion. And I guess it's, I guess if you pick like the top journal and you talk about it, but it would inevitably get down to like the methods and what did they do this? Did they measure it that way? Did they do this kind of statistical test and how about that, that statistical test? So I guess for the data wants, I mean, I kind of like, I like data, so I get into that. But as an internist and certainly busy clinician during COVID, I really appreciate that. Like what is the relevance or the application? What am I going to get from this today versus um, getting my jollies out of blowing up somebody's methodological choices, right? Well, yeah, I think there's two things there. So, so one is the, um, that. I'm, so, I want to make sure that Scott gets all the the credit that and accolades that he would deserve. Just for, um, I mean, none of this would have happened without his support in the first place. But then we also got lucky because the website was being redesigned. The division website is being redesigned as we we're developing this process. So, the, the must read site is kind of custom fit for um, for purpose. And uh, and then it's Scott also has his been the driving force to make make things shorter and, and succinct and user friendly. Um, so I, I think without that push, I think we it probably would have looked quite different. Um, and then obviously, I, you know, don't want to discount while I'm at it. Don't want to discount um, the the support from the division in terms of like the work in progress. Everybody chipping in your thoughts, but especially the, the support from like the early pilot reviewers. You know, like um, Elena, who who is now kind of taking a different position, but uh, was there for a lot through a lot of the pilot. Uh, phases like we did six full pilots, so six months worth of, of pilot stuff that didn't go on a website, and then um, Ben, who is still with us, but but uh, but did a lot of work, and Elizabeth Reiser, who's also kind of moved on to um, a, a different position. Um, so just you know a lot of and all everybody and everybody's names up on the site, but I want to make sure that, um, that 
like all these things happened as a result of, of their work. Um, and then, you know, the issue of like how to, how to be critical of, of articles. I mean, I, I think that that was one of the needs we felt like we were meeting because I mean, there are other venues out there where, um, you know, people will take an article and, and kind of analyze it and okay. find the flaws and think about, you know, constructively, how could it be better and where does it fit in with the literature and stuff. And our, our purpose is mainly to just make it easier to find good literature. Um, and, and, and we're kind of intentionally not overly, not critical on the site. I mean, when we talk behind, you know, we, we, we try to make sure that we're um, seeing all the different flaws or, or issues there might be with a study, but uh, on, on the site, like it's, it's really trying to make it easy for people to understand, you know, uh, why, why they should look at this, how it could be useful to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's so well done. And I hope everyone goes to take a look at it again. It will be linked on the facultyfactory.org website, but in case you're super smart and you've got um, a great memory, it's all one big long word, Hopkins Bayview internal medicine.org slash must hyphen reads. I'll say that again, Hopkins Bayview internal medicine.org forward slash must reads. There's a hyphen between the must and the reads. It'll be linked. It's so nice. It's so convenient. It's a great contribution. It came at the right time in the right place. I know you did a lot of work and all those beta testing and all your editors. Um, I just think it's, it's really great. Another example of the collaborative can-do spirit here at Hopkins. So Dr. Sean Tackett, I'm going to leave you with the parting words and thank you very much for sharing this valuable resource with us. No, thank you for having me. And again, hopefully this will just continue to be useful and, and become more useful to people. So um, yeah, thanks very much. All right, folks, take a look for Dr. Sean Hackett's email address on the website, the website itself. Again, he's stackett1, S-T-A-C-K-E-T-1 at jimmy.edu, J-H-M-I. And you can email me at facultyfactorykim at gmail.com. Until the next time, see you on the Faculty Factory. And thanks, Dr. Tackett. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.